some of the amazing experiences that I've had over the years where you go to these Buddha lands and there are literally these vast fields of meditators just touching into the one mind. Thousands and thousands of souls who just literally stay. It's such a peaceful, peaceful, beautiful thing because they are literally just a visual representation of the one mind. They're all in touch, seated in meditation, one next to each other, literally fields of meditators, thousands and thousands and thousands of meditators in these higher spheres, all touching into one mind. And so this is, again, this is another manifestation of God's presence within them. It also speaks of there being a spiritual hearing. There are things that we hear, but we don't necessarily hear them in the same way that we hear them here. The saints and the blessed speak to one another, and it is true that they have no need to utter sounds, to employ definite language. It's sufficient they should desire to communicate their thoughts, but this communication may be called speech on the part of the transmitter and hearing on the part of the receiver in the same way God has often spoken intellectually to the prophets and other saintly souls. In heaven, he speaks to the angels when he gives them his direct commands but he doesn't necessarily ever utter a word. We shall hear him also, for love constrains him to enter into relations with his friends in all possible ways. Love constrains him to enter into relations with all of his friends in all possible ways. That's what we're doing. Another way it's put is, there's another way of attaining to God, and that is to compare it to a touch. And many people will experience it in this way, a fact which surprises many above measure. It's precisely this which is a part of the second fundamental truth of mysticism. Those who do not accept it in its entirety will not have a really exact idea of the states of union, and their general conception of these states will suffer. In the states inferior to ecstasy, we cannot say that God is seen, save in exceptional cases. We are not instinctively led to translate our experiences by the word sight. On the other hand, that which constitutes the common basis of all the various degrees of the mystic union is that the spiritual impression by which God makes known his presence manifests him in the manner, as it were, of something interior which penetrates the soul. It is a sensation of saturation, imbibition, a fusion of immersion. For the sake of greater clearness, we often use the word of interior touch. They say that we repose in God, that we are in his arms or his bosom, that we plunge into him as into an ocean, that he floods the soul. The Latin term for that is elapsus divinus. If God unveiled his face a little, they would not fail to tell us so, for it would be more easy to understand. This fact also shows us why the majority of those who possess the prayer of quiet finds such a difficulty in making themselves understood. If they could say, I see God, their language would be perfectly clear, but they realize that that would be inexact. Prayer of quiet 
it's a state of the soul where it experiences an extraordinary peace and rest accompanied by the delight or pleasure in contemplating God as present. So what they're saying here in this mystical theology is that it would be easier if you could say, I see God, but you can't say that, but yet you know he is present within you. You are literally just bathing within that presence. You don't want to leave it, that's for sure. They speak of it as a divine atmosphere. Very well said there. And so sometimes they say, I feel God in some sort of way. The soul feels God as something interior that penetrates her. All those who have experienced this prayer quiet testify to this feeling of interior possession. They are aware of it more especially when the eyes are closed because they are not then drawn and distracted by outward things. So the mystic often focuses on keeping the eyes closed. If they are suddenly taken into a prayer, they will close gently those eyes so they can go deeper within. They perceive the basis of their prayer consists not in a better comprehension or formulation of some abstract truth, but plunging into a divine atmosphere. This is St. Teresa of Avila. She describes the soul as a castle in which God occupies the central mansion or room. Hence, under pain of a mixed metaphor, it was necessary to say that as the faculties of the soul advanced from room to room, they drew nearer to God, and not that they were immersed in him, which however would have been a true representation of the fact, but the words near to should be taken here as opposed not to the interior of the soul, but to the innermost place of this interior. There's a difference. And further upon three occasions, the saint employs the words near to, even when it is a question of ecstasy, which however is a state in which God takes interior possession of the soul and the foregoing comparison is a constraint upon her because the soul is not arrived at the central mansion. It is clear then that the near to must not be taken in a narrow sense. Many persons to whom the mystic state is familiar have told me, Father Poulain, that the following comparison depicts with great exactness both the interior possession of God, which is its basis, and the physiognomy of the impression by which it makes itself felt. We may say it is in exactly the same way that we feel the presence of our bodies when we remain motionless and close our eyes. There again, we can talk about three fundamental points of this experience. It is not of one kind only. Fundamentally, it neither resembles sight nor speech. And three, they will say that this fundamental quality belongs to a third species, refraining from stating precisely whether its analogy is to be found amongst the material sensations, they can now call it inexpressible. Interior touch is quite logically led up to the fact already admitted that an interior touch is felt. In fact, in the material order, we make use of the word touch each time that it is a question of knowing experimentally any object contiguous to us. While if the object is at a distance, we make use of the words see and hear and then it is not with the object itself that we enter into immediate relations. 
but the radiations or vibrations which it sends out to us. So you see there's a difference there. It is the difference between entering into relations with versus the radiations or vibrations which something sends to us. In this case, God himself, very different. And so, you know, when you're reading mystical theology texts, sometimes people will tell me this, even in spiritual counseling, you know, I don't know what they're talking about. You know, it seems like they're just getting all caught up in them trees. You know, but there is a reason for these words because they are trying to describe very sincerely and very important differentiations. Mystical theology has understood this all along from the very beginning. It's funny because, you know, if you go back even to the writings of like Hermes Trismegistus, he wrote about all of these things too. This is stuff that goes all the way back to the very beginnings of time. It's something innate in human experience. And we find that it's all very in line with one another. No matter the tradition across the world, there's a similarity and a line of light and truth that goes through them. It's just amazing to me anyway. So it says too that many Christians form a very incomplete idea of heaven. And boy, that is the truth. They know that we shall see God, that we will rejoice in the magnificent revelation of his infinite nature. But this is all. They picture him as a stern prince, isolated upon his throne, proudly keeping his subjects at a distance, admitting them only in the character of spectators. But God will do much more than this. He wishes to be the fragrant air that we breathe, the wine that will inebriate us, the life of our life, the impassioned lover of our souls. He will vouchsafe to us the kiss of his mouth and will receive ours in return. He will not be content until he is merged into, almost identified with, the beloved soul that has given himself to him. He desires an intimate and mutual penetration. Heaven is not merely the vision of God, it is fusion with him in love and in possession. If this fusion did not take place, the soul would suffer an insatiable thirst. In order that we may catch a glimpse of these wondrous blessings, God grants a foretaste of them to his friends on earth. And another incomplete idea of heaven that I hear so much about is just the idea that people perceive heaven as one place when heaven is millions and infinities of places. Let's enter into the 10 subsidiary characters of the mystic union. Those are, it does not depend on our own will. Again, we're talking about God does this, we don't. We can create the fine and fertile ground necessary to create the circumstances necessary where these types of things may come to pass, may come about, but it does not depend on our own will. It depends upon the will of God. The knowledge of God accompanying it is obscure and sometimes confused. The mode of communication is partially incomprehensible. The union is produced neither by reasonings, nor by the consideration of creatures, nor by sensible images. It varies incessantly in intensity. That is so important for people to realize. People think that you have this mind-blowing revelation, then they're always going to be that way. 
they go back and forth, they vary at all times. It demands less effort than meditation. That is not true. It is accompanied by sentiments of love, of repose, of pleasure, and often of suffering. It inclines the soul of itself and very efficaciously to the different virtues. It acts upon the body and is acted upon in return. It impedes to a greater or lesser extent the production of certain interior acts. And this is what is called the ligature. The powerlessness in question shows itself in six ways. Hope everybody's taking notes. As has just been said, we cannot bring about the mystic union in ourselves when God does not give it. Anyone can prove to himself that to will it is not sufficient. So number two, in the same way, its coming cannot be foreseen, whatever preparations we may have tried to make. Beginners are often surprised at the unexpected manner of its arrival. They were not thinking of it or simply striving to lift up their hearts towards God, perhaps without much success. And all of a sudden, a state of recollection of a quite special kind took possession of them without their knowing why. They allow themselves to float with the current because they saw from the first that was a holy occupation. They postponed the task of examining it more closely to another time. Their part lay in consenting to an unforeseen action. Three, if this union is granted to us, we cannot make it more intense. However, much we may desire to do so. We plunge ourselves in God only in the precise measure in which he wills it. Four, and it is in the same as to the kind of mystic union. We shall see that this favor may differ in the matter of its presence. Now it in no wise depends upon our will to have one kind of union rather than another. Consequently, we can foresee nothing with regard to it. Five, those who have this union from time to time only usually find it ceases abruptly as it came and this without their participation. We see this like even in the lives of many saints like Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was an excellent example of this where she had this profound vision about her destiny when she was a young woman and then she did not have visions after that but she fulfilled her destiny. The oomph, the strength of that vision was strong enough to inspire her to fulfill that destiny. And so it was enough, but it came and it stopped as fast as that. Comes and goes without our participation. We cannot make it cease by merely by an interior act of the will. We can influence it by indirect means only by walking or seeking much external distraction. This way we can diminish it or even cause it to cease altogether. Now we enter into the fourth and fifth characters, the divine obscurity, the divine darkness. Those are reserved for certain ecstatic visions. Beginners who have read nothing on the subject of mystic contemplation never suspect that it always remains indistinct. They are even convinced of the contrary. All the divine communications have this character of manifesting the divine attribute of incomprehensibility. They always contain something that we wish to understand better. With regard to God's other attributes, 
they nearly all continue hidden in the prayer of quiet. But this one, on the contrary, strikes us from the outset, and it only becomes more apparent as the soul mounts up to higher modes of knowledge. Expressions that need interpretation, I have said that these states are in part incomprehensible. And again, we are speaking from Father Augustine Poulain. Here is another sufficiently resembling the first. They believe that the mystic states present hardly any element of mystery. Meditation and other inferior states were easy to understand. By analogy, they fancy that this condition will continue. They forget that a great change has taken place. So thereto they performed, in appearance at least, none but natural acts in their prayer. These acts, therefore, could cause them no surprise, but they are now penetrating into a new world. They are manifestly entering into the supernatural, into the divine. This unknown land is full of mysteries. So now we enter into the sixth character of the mystic union. The contemplation of God is not produced by reasonings or by the consideration of created things or by interior images of the sensible order. This contemplation has, as we have seen, quite another cause, a direct illumination from God, and to make this still clearer, a supernatural knowledge of his presence, a spiritual sensation comparable to the sense of touch. The ancient writers convey these various ideas, briefly by saying that mystic contemplation takes place without any intermediary, sine medio, or that it is immediate. Ruzbrook is likewise perpetually describing mystic contemplation by saying that it is above images and forms. So don't get caught up in images and forms in your experience. The last degree, the true center, that is to say, may be defined by them as the spirit and the enjoyment of the spiritual marriage. This, in other words, is the idea that St. Teresa symbolizes by the mansions of the interior castle and there leading up to a central chamber, the throne room. In my own experience and that of many others, we actually do end up going to the throne room at some point as part of that mystical initiation. So the word summit or supreme point of the spirit, the apex mentis has the same meaning going back to that throne room. And so now we're going into the seventh and eighth characters and the seventh and eighth characters exhibit continual fluctuations. The divine ocean into which we have penetrated some few steps has waves that advance and retire, an ebb and a flow. And this is a source of suffering to the mystic. For during the ascending, we hope to rise higher than ever before, but it is not to be, and behold, we begin to descend again. During the first phase, God is like the mother, showing a sweetness to her child and allowing it to come quite near. And then the sweetness is withdrawn and we may wait in this way for years. I want you to hear this. People get so frustrated. They're like, it's been going on for so long. It's been weeks. <laughs> so this helps all of us to be reminded it is a path of discipline that we're talking about. It can be years between steps and stages not to get discouraged. 
we live in this instantaneous world, you know, I want something, let me pull out my phone. This is not the way of mysticism. Mysticism is a path that involves patience and waiting on God. If you are on the way of this path, you are on a good path. Whether you are seeing a great many graces or consolations, or if you are seeing none at all. If you are just being disciplined and patient and following this path, but you see no fruits that you see yourself, the fruits are not always visible to us. A lot of times what's happening is invisible to us. This is a really important reminder, which is part of the reason I wanted to include this passage is it can happen for years between stages, years. So, you know, when you're waiting days or weeks or months, I do talk to people who wait years, that's normal. However, it's going as long as we are on this good path, we are on a good road. That is what is the necessity to know, okay, this is a good road and it will lead me to that union with God. How long that will take is in God's hands, Another really important thing for all of us to get from the understanding of mystical theology and the Tao of mysticism and the one mind is that we have to wait on God. You know, he doesn't wait on us, we wait on him. When we try to control it, and if we do supposedly control it, then we are changing what that way is. And so it completely alters the destination of that way. So we can't guarantee then that the path we are on is now good. There's a lot to be said for taking a sure path to God that we can be assured of is a good road to the one mind, to the Tao of mysticism, to that oneness, that bridal chamber, the throne room of God, rather than, okay, but it's not happening as fast as I want. So I'm gonna create an artificial and counterfeit experience which actually, you know, here I'm going straight towards him, but I'm creating a counterfeit. So now, now I'm going another direction and you don't necessarily know what that direction might be. It's not necessarily a good path anymore. It's always infinitely simpler to stay on the good path, even despite whatever the frustrations are that arise. Every path will have the frustrations, the fruits, are being formed and created under the surface below our ability to see sometimes. And so we don't always see what's happening. There's always what lies underneath and that's vibration, knowledge, energy. And we do not have an ability to discern its workings just by observing the top of the ocean. We just cannot understand it.